Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. What's going on, everybody? Thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate your patience. Go ahead and change your chat settings down at the bottom right to everyone and let us know where you're tuning in from in the chat. I'm going to go ahead and, whoop, not that one. Let's go back. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and launch this question right here. This is how we tailor these conversations. So let's kick this thing off. We know a lot of people are here excited. Uh, my main man here was just a hair late because he was actually on a discovery call. And that's why we kicked off just a hair behind schedule. So we'll hear about that discovery call here in just a second. We're here to talk about how to execute effective discovery meetings. The man that you see in the room with me, the myth, the legend, CEO of Voris, Kyle Van Voris. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to jump in. Yeah, this is going to be a good conversation. Scan this QR code. This is going to take you to sellbetter.xyz where you can learn more about the daily show. We are live every single day, bringing you the best sales advice on a daily basis. Go ahead and explore our YouTube channel. This is where a lot of the clips and the value that you can get from these shows can be found. So go subscribe there and hit that alert button. I want to give a big shout out to Zoom Info, the best data in the business, but also one of the best teams to work with. Clary is now on board with us. Shout out to Clary. Our friends over at Clary have been in our space for a long time. We appreciate you. And then big welcome to our friends at Vouch. We're going to drop a link in the chat right now. Vouch is out there showing you where video fits in your buyer's buying cycle. It fits in more places than just the prospecting piece and the negotiation piece and the contract piece. There are lots of places where you can use video. So go ahead and click that link in the chat and get started with Vouch about that today. Uh, all right, here we go. This is what you're going to get today from Kyle right here. Repeatable frameworks, repeatable, the keyword there, tailoring that framework so that it addresses the things that matter most to your prospects. And then of course, we're going to give you the tried and the true. Let's take a look at who's in the room here. Bam. Look at that. SDR and AE. AE doing some deep discovery, right? SDR discovery looks a little bit different. We're going to talk about that. I really want to talk about the transition from SDR to AE. This is a tough transition for a lot of sellers. Kyle, how do you think people need to be taking steps to figure out what they need to improve on? Let's start right there. So one of the main things that I try to do is really look at the data of your role. So whether you're an SDR or AE, when you're trying to figure out where you need to focus, you have to look at where you're actually having challenges. A lot of times I feel like we try to implement all of these tactics without actually measuring the impact of those tactics. Mm -hmm. I have a, a weird belief here. I don't know if everyone's going to agree with me, but almost everything works. If you follow a system, you follow a process, it's going to work. Sure, some things work a little better than others. Absolutely. But for the most part, everything works. You need to figure out where you struggle so then that way you can figure out how to improve it. So that's really the first thing I'd like everybody to, to uh, acknowledge. You have to use the data to figure that out. Yeah. And you said something about uh, these pieces of the discovery and you segment that out. We're going to talk about those segments here in a minute. Uh, but one of the tactics that you gave that I thought was interesting was do everything that you're trying new at least 10 times and look back. And one of the things I always say is like, we never try anything for long enough before we label it as something that doesn't work and we don't really get good at using it. So talk to me about why 10 times is the magic number. And then looking back and seeing where you can adjust makes a difference. Yeah. Well, so of course it depends on what you're doing, right? Like 10 cold calls aren't going to give you anywhere. For, so for the SDRs on this call, you need to do a bit more than that. But right. if you're doing discovery calls and you're trying to figure out like, 
let's say you're you look at your entire sales process. Let's say there's four stages in your sales process. You start off with a discovery, then you go to a demo, then there's some kind of evaluation period. Maybe you have to meet with a couple other people, and then there's a decision making call, like a proposal, whatever it might be. Let's say that's what your your sales process looks like. You want to see the drop off between each stage. So if I do ten discovery calls, what percentage of them actually make it to stage two to the demo? Let's say that's eighty percent for you. Great. Now, of the 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 uh, demos, what percentage of those make it to whatever that next step is, that evaluation period step? Let's say that's twenty percent for you. Well, that might be an area of focus, right? So that you right. look and say, like, where's the rest of the team at? And you can actually figure out, oh gosh, I am at twenty percent. The average is like sixty percent, or our top performers at sixty percent. Let me go meet with them and figure out what do they do to get people from the demo to the evaluation step. That's just an example. If you're able to do ten of each of those, it gives you a decent sense of where your numbers lie. And if you can keep tracking it beyond that, obviously it'll get more accurate over time. But you got to at least do ten. I I like the focus on the numbers that you're giving this because I don't think we focus enough on what the numbers actually say. Uh, and you've got a very specific system that you use. It's a template. We're going to drop this template right now for you in the chat. So go get this template that Kyle's been using for his discovery. Break this piece down. This is only a part of the template, but what do you got? What do you have for this? Why is this important? How do you follow this consistently so that it drives results for you? So the reality is the best salespeople I've ever met are ones that follow a very structured process. For example, I have a good friend of mine who has had seven or sorry, four seven-figure commission checks. Mm. Four seven figures, over a million dollars in commission on each check. This is the best salesperson I know. If you talk to him and you tell him a little bit about what you do, he'll convert it into a into a pitch like a computer. Greatest salesperson I've ever met. And he follows a great process. Everyone I've ever met who's an incredible salesperson follows a great process. So this is the template that I've put together. Um, you'll notice similarities to other frameworks, other um, you know methodologies are kind of mushed together what I like to do personally. This works very well for us and the people that we work with. So the first part here is the current state. So in the discovery call specifically, the first thing I feel that you need to do is understand the current state. Where are you today? And you'll see on the right-hand side here, there's some questions to ask and in the middle are notes. So questions to ask, these are where you're going to put the questions that you like to ask. I have examples here. So what's motivating the conversation today? If you're not starting your discovery calls with that, that's a mistake. You should. Uh, the next one is what's your current process for X or you know, how are you doing this today? Tell me a bit about this kind of scenario, right? Now you're asking questions. You're trying to learn more about their current state. Yeah. While you're talking about the current state, you're going to identify problems. <laughs> this is the next part of the, um, the framework here. What are the fall problems? And you're diving deeper into the problem. So we've identified a problem. How do you feel about that problem? How long has this been going on? What have you tried to do to solve that problem? Yep. Why do you think the problem exists? What do you think is causing the problem? Sometimes we have problems. There's causes of those problems. And then sometimes those are flipped. You'll get a cause of a problem, not the real problem. Like You have to be really honest about the problem. Mm. From there, you move into impact. Now, Every AE on this call or most AEs on the call might be cringing about the impact question. No one likes asking about impact because it sounds like the most salesy thing of all time. Yeah. Uh, it is also the most important thing of all time. A problem without an impact is no deal. Equals okay. no deal every time. This And the reason why, like for example, this is the classic example of this. Oh, I'm super excited about this opportunity because they're using spreadsheets right now to manage this. And now you're all excited. 
what if it's not a problem? What if they don't mind using the spreadsheets? I'll give you a real example of this. Um, I was on a sales call. This is uh, probably two and a half years ago. I started my company uh, three years ago. So this is very early on in our company's development. And um, HubSpot wanted to sell us their CRM. And I was talking to HubSpot. I was kind of considering it. I was using a uh, task manager to manage the, uh, the, the deals that I had working. The salesperson thought I was crazy. Like, why are you using a CRM? The reality is, it's just me. I use my tax managers for everything else to run the company. It right. made sense for me to have my deals in there. It wasn't a problem with impact. So I didn't move forward. So the impact question is really important. That's a good example. You know, just because you feel like something is important doesn't mean that it's a priority for your prospect. And I think sometimes we forget that fact. Keep going though. How do you get okay. to the ideal state? Well, before an ideal state, actually, um, I wanted to just go a little bit quicker, uh, or I want to give you guys a, a, a tactic to use to ask the impact question. Do it. Without sounding like a weirdo. That's what everyone's worried about. I don't want to sound like a salesy weirdo. I don't want to sound weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the worst. So what you want to do, it's all in the lead-in. All you're doing is you're leading in. Hey, I typically talk to CEOs and they tell me, uh, or when I typically talk to CEOs who struggle with X problem, what they tell me is why. Curious, what's the impact that this problem is having on your organization? Mm. I want to hear from your perspective. What's the impact it's having on your organization? You lead in because you're showing that you know, you know generally what the impacts are. Because the biggest problem here is like the impact is we're not closing as many deals we want to, right? Like sometimes there are obvious impacts. You tell them the obvious impact and then ask from their perspective what the impact is for their organization. And then yeah. you'll get rid of all of that weirdness when asking impact questions. I like getting rid of the weirdness. Uh, there's a, an awkward moment that I think sales, salespeople need to learn exists. And if you never go back and listen to your calls, you won't be able to find your awkward moments. Uh, okay. So we get that. We get all that. We get down to the priority. Uh, I'm, I, I want to ask this question because it's going to come up later. Are you a fan of the upfront contract? And if you don't know what that is, we're going to tell you, so don't stress. And if you're curious why you should use it, don't worry. We will tell you why should you use it. Uh, so we did priority or we're on priority? We're on ideal state. So we're on ideal we state. Okay. So we're, two. we're past the impact. We've gotten a, a new way to ask our impact question. What, what do we do once we get them thinking about their ideal state? So the next piece here is what's the goal you want to accomplish? So real quick, I went to a psychic over the weekend out of curiosity. I actually went with our CMO. I thought it would be fun if we each went to a psychic. I'd never been before in my life. I also don't believe in it. Um, so I go to the psychic because I thought it would just be like an extra. Tear him up in the chat, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, if you're a big psychic pure person. Um, and the first thing she asked me is she goes, I want you to make two wishes one wish, wish you're going to make out loud. The other wish you're going to make in your head. I go, mm -hmm. okay. So I say my out loud wish and she goes, ah, that wish was only okay. Uh, ask your second wish out loud just to make sure it's right. Cause she wants to hear both witches. It immediately occurred to me how powerful that was. She asked my wishes. The amount you can learn about someone by their wishes is incredible. It's an incredible amount of detail. I desire this to happen. If you know someone's desire, you could position your product or service as what they need to get their desire. In this case, the psychic wanted me to believe that she could see my future. So <laughs> what I, well, the reason why I bring this up is because you need to understand their goal. What do they wish? What are their goals? You understand that? That's their ideal state. Now you know the gap between where they are today, where they're trying to go. You can position your product as what they need to, to bridge that gap. Yeah. So that's the uh, ideal state and that's the importance of the ideal state.
I like that, man. And I think that that flow makes a lot of sense for good discovery, not just for you, but so that the prospect that you're talking to is being very clear about what the problem is and the impact it's having on the organization and how important it is to get a solution in place. But I think one of the other things it does is it helps us to be accountable, right? Uh, this is something that I think a lot of leaders struggle with. Aspiring leaders need to start thinking about this now. Even team leads need to hold team members accountable, hold themselves accountable. So talk to me about results-oriented thinking specifically. I found this really interesting, y'all. Yeah, we had a good conversation around this. So there's this concept called results-oriented thinking. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm a hardcore tabletop card game fan. I played Magic the Gathering competitively for a long time. I'm a hardcore nerd as well. And um, one of the challenges that I used to run into is I would... I would have plays that I would make based on previous experience, right? And it would be, I got a good result from it, so I'm going to do it again. And I had a really good friend of mine who was watching me play once who was like, hey, why do you keep doing that? Like, it doesn't make any sense, this, this move that you keep making. And I go, oh, well, because of X, Y, and Z. And his point was, you're being results-oriented in your thinking. And you're doing something because it worked for you once before, but it's not necessarily the correct thing to do. The upfront contract is one of those, by the way which yeah. I'm curious to see the poll results on. But it's very important to disconnect yourself from a result and focus on, I guess, the results, which are the accumulation of results that you're getting from using a specific tactic. That's why the data piece of this is so important. Yeah, remember the outcomes are the outcomes they want, not the outcomes you need. <laughs> That's I love that. probably a great way to think about it, right? Yeah, I love that. Uh, I'm going to share the results now, and then we're going to talk about this for just a moment. Uh, but it looks like 32% of the people that voted currently use the upfront contract. 24% say they don't use it. Some people only use it sometimes. That's interesting. I wonder what they're using. Let me know in the chat, you guys, when you decide what what is it that that prompts you to use it? What's the defining factor? Uh, and then 18% want to know why you should use this. So I think that's very interesting. Let's go ahead and just dive into the upfront contract. Just tell them what it is. Give them an example. So what an upfront contract is, is in the beginning of the conversation, you're setting the stage, you're kind of laying out the agenda of what's going to take place on that call and also what the decision that you're making on that call is. The idea is you're demystifying what they're about to experience. So, hey, thanks for taking the time. In this call, we're going to cover A, B, and C. I won't go through like the real traditional one, but just real quick. Sure. You know, we're going to be covering A, B, and C. And at the end of this conversation, we're going to decide together if it makes sense to do X, whatever the next step is. Is that fair? Is that reasonable? Sometimes you need to throw in like, hey, I noticed you know, CEO Sarah couldn't make it to this call. Uh, at the end of this call, we're going to make a decision if X is appropriate. And at that point, we would have to bring in Sarah. Is that fair? That's tr traditional upfront contract at a high level. Nice. That's really good. And I want a big shout out to Sandler. We love Sandler training. And this is where the upfront contract is most commonly taught is at the Sandler training. And I use it a lot, but I want to caution you not to say, does that make sense? Instead of, is that fair? A lot of people have a tendency to end that upfront contract with, does that make sense? Does that make sense can be construed a little bit different on the end of the prospect. I hear when somebody says, does that make sense to me? Are you as smart as I am? And my answer is yes. And we're done with this phone call, right? But that's just me. <laughs> no, no, you're hundred percent right. I mean, look, 32% of people said that they use this consistently. Here's one thing that I can promise you. Yeah. When you follow really kind of strict your own process, right? And you're going to learn it from yeah, everyone here on this call today, take sales seriously. You're, go, you're joining the sell better daily show. 
right? Like you take sales seriously. Only 32% of you do this consistently. Mm. Imagine in the broader landscape, it's so uncommon that you interact with a salesperson that has this kind of structure to what they do. You stand out from the competition. And fun fact, there's more competition today for every product and service than there ever has been in Never. history. And the best salesperson wins in this environment. So if you're not having a structure to what you're doing, you're going to fall behind because you're going to lose to the more organized, the sharper, the more industry expertise you know, type of salesperson. And it's going to be very frustrating for you. That's good advice right there. Uh, make sure that you have a system for everything. So let's give them a system. This is a very trendy one. I'm going to break it down and then I want your thoughts on it. So Great, let's do it. This, you, put a one in the chat if you know or have heard the term value-based selling. If you've heard this before, put a one in the chat. These are the steps for value-based selling. You'll notice there are seven of them. I'm not going to read them to you, but I just kind of want Kyle to give his thoughts on this particular trend because this is very common to see these days but there are some nuances to this and some umbrellas that you should probably be aware of kyle what are your thoughts on this method that's highly popular right now today look for i'll repeat what i said earlier i like all systems for things yes. <laughs> right as long as we're following something i like it and let's just go through the, the one by one do your homework yeah absolutely let's let's make sure we know about the organization we're about to talk to don't pitch too early yeah i'm I, I don't really like that either i don't think we're here to pitch in the very beginning communicate what your product does yeah important <laughs> focus on teaching instead of selling sure i don't know why those are different but sure, I think teaching and selling are actually kind of the same. Um, guide the prospect through the buying process. Yeah, I, I think absolutely that's important. Keep a personal approach, add value to every interaction at a high level. Yeah, I like, um, I really like this kind of framework. Yeah, I think that these are great foundations. I think what makes an exceptional salesperson is that they're able to take these foundations and make them their own. And they become something that they lean on when they're looking for that system to put in place or that default, hey, something's changed. Let me go back to this foundation and rebuild my strategy from the ground up. That's what I see when I see systems like this. Yeah, um, let me give it real quick, James. Let me give a good go example for, for the SDRs here. Yeah, um, there's a lot of debate on how you should open a cold call. Some people are passionate. You should never say, how are you? Oh my gosh, it's disingenuous. You should never say, how are you? I've said, how are you my entire career when I was cold calling? My whole career never bothered me. I tested it with teams that I've run, zero impact. For some people, it doesn't work though. There's what works and then there's what works for you. Mm. And that's really an important piece here. As an, as an SDR level, there's going to be scripting on cold calls. When you become an AE, it's kind of the process that you follow. If it's, yep. if it's working, keep doing it, but acknowledge the process that you're following. Don't just shoot from the hip because then you do things differently. Then you end up running into big plateaus. You're not sure why it's because you're constantly shifting and you're not uh, clear about the methodology that you're following, even if it's uh, you know a, a, a collection of a bunch of different ones. Yeah. I mean, it's everything in moderation. Testing is good. Too much testing will make it very confusing about what works. And I've always said that pragmatism is the religion of sales. Love it. Do me a solid and ask your questions in the Q&A as we move forward here, because we're going to answer some at the end. Uh, you gave three very specific tactics, some actions that people can do in their discovery calls starting right now that will help. We talked a little bit about upfront contracts, but talk about these other two. And you had some segments that you break your demos down into. Absolutely. So of course, upfront contracts, um, the segments. So if you're doing demos, then what you should be doing is breaking your demo into individual segments that deliver 
some value to the customer, whatever that value is. And it might be a collection of features. It might just be one specific feature. At the end of each segment of your demo, you're asking what we call a trial close. And it's not, is this aligned with what you were looking for? Boring. Not good. What I want you to say are something like, how would you expect your team to use this? How do you see this impacting your guys' workflow today? Mm -hmm. Questions that are open-ended that get them talking about the value they're going to experience, not just saying, do you like this or not like this? I don't want yes or no's. I want conversations. Yeah, that I want conversations is something I heard recently. You're not, Tom Boston said, you're not, we're not selling you anything yet. We're just having a conversation. Somebody put in the chat that a lot of this stuff seems like it's inbound. Somebody's contacting you. Uh, what about outbound, right? So you're getting into a cold call situation and your opener goes really swell. I just want to park it right here. How do you get deep into discovery as an SDR on that outbound front? I want to address that. Yeah, it's called the golden question. This is by far my favorite uh, part of a cold call. It's where we transition. So real quick, uh, I, I promise not to nerd too too much out on cold calling, uh, but I'm very passionate about it. Uh, there's different phases that your prospects are in when you're cold calling. The first is go away. Get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. Go away. The next is let's chat. All right. I'm not going to try to get you off the phone here. I'm, I'm willing to chat with you. The next is I'm interested. And by the way, this is where a lot of SDRs make critical mistakes that prevent their ability to book a meeting. And then finally, it's I'll meet with you and learn more, right? So those are the phases. In the very beginning, that intro needs to be the most scripted part of your entire cold call because you're taking somebody from getaway to I'll chat. And part of that transition is asking what I call the golden question. And this is how it goes. And there's a couple of ways to structure it, but this is the main one. Um, when I talk to X type of person, CEOs, they tell me they struggle with one or of two things. Challenge one, challenge two. Curious, which one of those resonates most with you? Their answer to that question tells you what their challenge is, of course, because it's what's resonating with them. And now you can have an open back and forth dialogue around that problem, how they're trying to manage that problem today, what the impact of that problem is, what's the ideal situation, finding that gap, and then booking a meeting. So that's the uh, the best way to get into conversations, in my opinion. So there's your answer for the outbound side, the golden question, the question that you need to ask. Now, I feel like sometimes this requires a little bit of time and time is always a crunch. So here's my question to everybody here. Uh, what's the longest amount of time you've ever spent on a deal that did not close? Can't wait to see the answer to this one. Oh, boy. Everybody's like digging back right now to go look in their pipelines, right? Like what's the oldest thing in my pipeline right now that's still alive? Uh, and if you do have one that's still alive, let me know in the chat. Like it's totally fine. Uh, all right. So you said this and you gave a specific play. And I think this play is like a common scenario that so many salespeople struggle with. And it's when a VP is just straight up dodging your outbound efforts. Yeah. So because it's outbound, a lot of people are rubbed the wrong way. What's the play that everybody should consider when this common scenario takes place? Okay. So I'm going to give you a play. Before I do, I want to just address one thing that I think is the most important. If you as an SDR believe that, or even as an AE who's doing your own prospecting, if you're doing outbound prospecting and you believe that you're interrupting people's day, you're going to have a very, very difficult time. This is not at all the correct mindset to have. There are individuals sitting in roles that have deep frustrations. There's people who own businesses 
who can't sleep at night because they're stressed out about specific problems. They have just never heard of you before. And if you don't believe you have a solution that can genuinely resolve that issue, then you're at the wrong company. Now, that being said, what are some plays you could do for larger organizations where you're not able to get to the um, kind of the main decision maker? There's this bottoms up approach that you could follow that uh, I recommend pretty often, where you have the main VP that you're trying to get a hold to who's totally ignoring you. And then underneath them is, is a kind of a team, right? There might be uh, directors, they might be managers, and there might be a couple of end users too, like their direct report. So you got a little bit of a tree. You reach out to all of those people. You understand what challenges that they're having. So let's say you call 10 people, you have conversations with 10 different people that you're not really going to book a meeting with just to learn the challenges of the organization. And then you use that information to get the attention of the person above them. Either they'll refer you up. That's the dream. Even if they don't, you can go to that person and say, listen, I've spoke to 10 people within your organization. I know you guys struggle with these three things and I can help you solve those three things if you're willing to have a conversation about how we do that. There you go. I like the earning of another another conversation there. It's not like I want to show you my product. It's do you want to go deeper? Do you want to go the next step? Right? Is this is this interesting enough for you? Is this impactful enough for you to take that next step? And that's the aim in every conversation is to make sure that you're nailing down those next steps. All right, so here we go. Look at this poll result here, this question result. I'm excited. Uh I'm actually I'm pleasantly surprised with how even this is spread. Are you? Uh it didn't pop up for me. I can't see it. What do you got? Oh, you can't see it? Here we go. Oh, there it goes. Yeah, and I can. Cool. Yeah, sorry about that. This is actually relatively spread out, uh, which I love. The th the six-month mark, I think, is a bit far for me. Uh, if I haven't if I haven't gotten anywhere in three months, I'm typically like, and sometimes less, uh, our COO, Megan, has to like force me, like, James, be patient. I'm like, no, it's not moving. Forget it. Just get it out of my pipe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good that you're diligent about that. This is one of the biggest challenges I see with sales organizations, just speaking a little bit at a higher level here, is uh, they hold on to deals for way too long. And a really large percentage of being a successful sales organization is correlated to how uh, strict you are with the pipeline. We got to lose fast or we're wasting a bunch of time on deals that aren't going anywhere. I, so losing fast brings me to this point, and uh, I had to say it. It turns out size does matter. Oh. Uh, and the reason it matters, to your point, Kyle, was we have to know when it's worth the chase. And if we're chasing, we already feel like we're doing something wrong, but sometimes it's worth a chase. How do we decide this? What's the what's the factors to look at? There's probably quite a few. Yeah, look, um, all that matters is the problem. That's really it. It's not about the prospects, it's about the problem, right? If you're talking to a prospect on a cold call, all we should care about is them. We're not pushing our own agenda. Yeah. So I chase when I know there's an actual problem that we can solve. There's no worse feeling for a salesperson that should resonate with everybody in this room. There's no worse feeling than reaching out to somebody that you had been trying to get a hold of before in the past and they had chosen a different vendor. They yeah. went with a different option. You're like, ah, you didn't even give me a chance. Maybe we didn't give them a good enough chance. I am very aggressive towards people that I know we can have a really, really big impact on. And I recommend everyone else do the same. Yeah. I also think there's some uh, level of engagement that needs to be taken into consideration. If I've reached out three, five, six times and I've been ignored, I think maybe it's time to spend less time on that deal. Take some of the eggs out of that basket and go prospect for another deal that has a little more legs and I might be able to get more momentum. Uh, so that's about prioritization as well. Uh, but you said something that struck me from like a leadership or a team lead perspective, or even from like a general AE perspective, uh, and even SDRs, I think, end up butting against this around six months to eight months in, 
effort metrics really yep. do impact the success rates and the mental and the routines that all of us go through as sales professionals, no matter where we are in the journey and what our role is. So talk to me about effort metrics and what they mean and why they matter so much. Yeah. Well, if you spend too much time on LinkedIn, you're really not going to like what I'm about to say. Hey, the greatest predictor, by the way, everyone should write this down. The greatest predictor of future pipeline are today's activities. There's no better predictor. It's called a leading indicator. It is critical that you understand the relationship between the activities that you do and the pipeline that gets generated. Now, when I talk about effort metrics, there's always some clown in the comments of my LinkedIn post who's just like, well, I can make a bunch of fake dials and make it look like I'm putting a bunch of effort. Of course, that's not what I'm talking about. That's why I say you got to understand the relationship between your effort metrics like dials, emails, uh, you know, uh, personalized LinkedIn messages, whatever you're doing, videos. You need to understand the relationship of that and actual pipeline being generated because then you can work backwards and figure out what do I have to do on a daily basis in order to generate enough pipeline to hit my number. And for any organization, and I blame the leaders for this, any organization that is not tracking, monitoring, and regularly discussing effort metrics with their team, they're letting their team down in a very big way. I'm very passionate about this and uh, I don't think there's a, a good debate on the other side. You heard it right here on Sell Better's Daily Show. You want to reach out to Kyle if you're passionate about this or if you've realized this is something you need to change about your leadership style. Let's give them the goods right here, the timeless techniques. Uh, so we mentioned the upfront contract, lots of ways you can spin that. What what about swinging behind the pendulum where you get that negative momentum up so it swings the opposite direction? I've heard a couple of really good examples of this and you're a big Sandler fan. So how do we employ this in our discovery calls? Look, at the end of the day, I mean, even when you're talking about building up negative momentum, and then and for those of you who don't know, like the idea is how do we uh, build up enough momentum to get the pendulum to swing to the other side? Right. It's really about information at the end of the day. How much information do we have and how do we leverage that information? One of the There's two big barriers for salespeople, and they're very related, by the way. It's trust and information. And the sales reps are able to build enough trust in order to get enough information by asking the right questions, which we've talked about today, yeah, ones that are going to win. So it comes from understanding their business, helping them build a, a business case, understanding their challenges and also the challenges of other people that you're going to need to interact with at the organization. So that way you have enough information to help build that, build that momentum. That's great. And you know, momentum is everything. And we try to keep it going after we earn that attention and that momentum and that traction with that company. So here's a good example of swinging behind the pendulum. When somebody gives you a pushback that they use one of the competing products in your space, you say things like, well, it sounds like maybe this isn't a priority because you're all taken care of. And they might chime back to you and say, well, here's the thing. And then you get a whole story about how they have this tool, but they're not really using it. I'm not saying this is a guarantee, y'all. I'm saying that swinging behind the pendulum gives people a mental break in the conversation where they get to retort. They get to come back to you and say, no, wait, this actually is important. And that's what swinging behind the pendulum means, building up that negative momentum. Hey, it sounds like you're all set here and this might not be a priority right now. And they're like, wait a minute. And that's something that you might experience. So try that out in your next discovery call. We've got some great questions here. This one comes from Anonymous. Shout out to Anonymous. Earlier, we had a, 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 a breakdown and we said pitching versus detailing the product offering. Kyle, what's the difference between those two things? This is a great question. 
Yeah, you know, I'm not too sure of the difference, to be honest. I mean, I, I yeah. think a big part of pitching is positioning your product or service as a true solution to their challenge. That's how I really view it. So should we be detailing our product offering? Yes, in the context of how it solves their problem. The actual features itself don't matter all that much. What matters is the benefit that they're getting from the solution. So I try to tie it all back and going back to momentum, right? This is, this is, or uh, sorry, going back to information, more information that we have, the better we're going to be able to position our solution as a true solution to their challenge. So understand their, their challenges, tie everything you show them to being a solution to that challenge. And when you get asked questions to go deeper into the technical elements of the solution, ask them the motivation behind the question. Mm. Oh, you're getting more information so then you can better position yourself. If you're constantly positioning yourself as a solution and you're compounding based on each of the segments of your uh, demo, then you're going to be in good shape. Usually, That's a good answer. And I want to give a slightly different answer to you, Anonymous. Pitching often results in you being pushed, quote, down to the person that handles X, Y, or Z. Detailing a product offering and tailoring that offering to what's the priority is of your decision maker is very specific to the 20% of your product that's going to solve the priority they have in their place. Pitching will get you sent down to a manager director that will quote, evaluate your product. And that's going to, that's going to quick hit the brakes on your deal. Detailing a product offering after hearing a pain point from an actual decision maker feels a little different because it's very specific and targeted to what they just said to you. So that's my answer on that. This one comes from Tracy. This is a good question. In regards to, and there's quotes here, interest, uh, the part that you mentioned where SDRs usually struggle to get the meeting, what are some common mistakes that SDRs make when it's time to get that meeting? And what can we do to change our behavior? This is such a good question from Tracy. Go for it, buddy. They talk too much about the product. So when you have someone who's actually interested, they'll, they'll start asking you a lot of questions. SCRs who aren't as experienced typically talk too much about the product. They answer every question. And what you're doing is you're allowing the other person to make a buying decision before ever even seeing the product. It's like the worst time to make a buying decision. So what you want to do is you want to leverage that interest as the reason why next step is necessary. Leveraging interest is something that salespeople struggle with. We hear it and then it, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. How do we get salespeople, Kyle, to slow this process down and really listen? Some people listen with the intent of getting to the next pace, the next spot, and some people listen with the intent of pausing and hovering over something. What's your training method to getting salespeople like me that just go way too quick to slow their roll? Disconnect from the outcome. This helps if you're in times of a lot of success and a lot of momentum in your career or in your sales pipeline. And it also applies to when things are challenging. You have to disconnect yourself from the outcome. What is the purpose of, there's two purposes of a cold call. I'd be curious, actually, let's give people a, a 10 seconds here to type in, what do you think the purpose of a sales call is? And there's two of them. Now, the first one, as you guys are typing this in, is of course to get the next meeting, right? So that's a really important piece, piece of this. I'm seeing some people said that, get yep. the next meeting, get information, get the convo going, great, great, great. The other one is to identify interest in solving the problem that they have. Mm. Once you have that, you've technically succeeded. So I don't care, get rid of booking a meeting. Why do we care about booking a meeting? And so that's us. I care about understanding their challenge and making sure that they're interested in solving that challenge. If that exists, we can book a meeting as a result of that. But the first objective is actually about them. 
that they are showing me interest in wanting to solve their problem. Then you can transition to the objective of booking a meeting. But if you enter the call with the objection of booking a meeting, things get messy. Always. So 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 let's let's hover on that because we had a lot of really good interesting interesting answers here finding pain points and positive or negative getting the convo going learning finding information getting the next meeting all of these are great but nobody said interest <laughs> so how is this the second most important thing but no one entered that into the chat and where do we draw the line between discovery and transition into the level of interest so that we can place it on a scale of priority. So when you are, first of all, there's a little bit of philosophy here around cold calling. I believe cold calling should be conversations. I'm not a big fan of pitching, not at all. In fact, when you ask for the meeting in all of the scripts that I give out, uh, I always have a recap portion where we recap what we just spoke about. So, so far you've told me A, B, and C. Why don't we do this? And then you ask for the meeting. The meeting should come across very natural. The reason why I think um, a lot of people miss out on the objective of finding interest is for two reasons. One, they're under the false sense that they're building a relationship. That is not what's happening on a cold call. I'm sorry, it's not. You're building enough trust to get to the next meeting. Where yeah. There's no relationship here. They're going to forget about you. And I can prove this to you because if you've ever had somebody who spoke to you a little bit and then ended up disconnecting and hanging up on you and you called them a month later, they don't even remember who you are. Yeah. Right. So there's no relationship building. It's a blip on the screen. It's just a blip on the screen. You call someone, they hang up on you. I mean, you call them the next day. They're not going to remember who you are for the most part. So it's important. Yeah. Very few. I, I, yeah. Very few. So I think it's really important for you to acknowledge that we're not trying to build a relationship. I don't need to be super like friendly and you got to like me on the cold call. No, 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 no. I'm trying to find what your challenges are and build enough interest and belief that I can so I could possibly solve that challenge that means something to you to get you to book a meeting. I don't need much more than that. I don't need to tell you anything else. I don't need to tell you about the product. I need to understand your challenge and make sure that you're interested in learning how we could solve it. Well, Kyle, I always end this with a final thought. What's your final thought for everybody as they come away from the show? What are they thinking about as they move forward in their discovery calls? What's the big takeaway that you would have them think about? If there's one through line of our entire conversation, because we touched a lot of different things, I believe that through line is that you have to have the mindset that all that matters is the prospect and their willingness to get out of their current state into their ideal state. The more they desire to be in a better spot tomorrow than they are today, the better chances you are going to be at winning the deal because it's about them, not about you. That's a mindset thing. And that's what the mindset everybody needs to have. Yeah. Good stuff on the mindset front. We're going to be sending out a request for feedback. And what I want you guys to know is that your opinions and the things that you want to see more of from us really do matter. So by all means, take part in this survey that we send you. After you log off, you're going to see it in your inbox. Let us know what you want to see more of. That's the thing that we want to see from you. Answer the questions there. That's really going to help us to provide a great experience for guests like Kyle and audience members that come and they want to learn. Uh, we got one more question here from Ernie. Up front, do you focus more on the business results that the solution delivers or how you make those business results happen? So upfront's doing a lot of heavy lifting in this question. And yeah, we're talking about in the uh, discovery, we're really trying to focus on business results typically. And then once we transition to a demo, more of a sales call, if you don't do a demo, then it's more about how you're making those results happen. But the how is a tricky one. A lot of times it's not necessarily these features. I I'm not trying to get in debates with people whether this feature is going to actually help them generate X result. 
Um, I'm trying to prove that we can generate X result by a suite of features, not just one-off individual things. Um, anyway, I don't know how much time we have left. I have a, a bunch of examples of this, but uh, hopefully that made sense. It makes total sense. Uh, do me a favor. Where can people connect with you? Why would they do that? What would they learn from you? <laughs> Uh, so if you, you can follow me on LinkedIn, that's a good one. My company is Voris.com. If you want to check out, we have a, a ton of free resources. I saw some people ask for cold calling scripts and stuff. I have it everywhere. If you DM me, I'll send you a cold call script too. Um, so yeah, I'd follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I do a lot of live classes for free that you can jump on. A lot of it has to do with how to effectively run a sales organization. So if you strive to be in leadership, that, that that's stuff that you should definitely be on top of. Would you consider yourself a responsive person to the folks that reach out to you on social? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Uh, in this scenario, I will be, but traditionally I am not. So if you send me a message on LinkedIn, like within the next two days, I will respond because I've made this commitment here, <laughs> but I promise you, if you just wait a week, I might not get it. That's good. Hey, good to know, right? Make sure that you're paying attention here. Don't expect them to respond right away. I want to thank you guys for coming out, spending your afternoon with us today. You can connect with us on social. Follow me directly at Say What Sales, but this is where you're going to find all of our sell better content to be able to level up consistently every single day. This show happens every single day. And when you sign up for our upcoming shows and you don't make it, we send you the recordings anyway. So you want to make sure that you're signing up and making sure that you're at the show. We always drop great things that you can take away from the show and use to get better. Thanks again for coming out today, everybody. We will see you tomorrow with another stellar guest to help you sell better. Have a great day, everyone. Go get them.